Romans chapter 12. We're going to have a couple-part series this week, and then in a couple weeks we'll come back to it again, on the will of God. It's a familiar topic, perhaps, maybe common to you or maybe uncommon to you. Uh, what is the will of God? Probably a lot of different ways that people would define it. Any suggestions tonight? Well, how would you define the will of God? Anybody? All right. <laughs> Anybody? All right. Okay, God's desire for my life. That's a good definition. Good explanation. Anybody else? Yes, Kim. All right. Yeah. There's a Canadian uh, philosopher named Jordan Peterson says the same kind of thing. He's like, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, doing the things that we're called to do, right? The things right before us is the will of God. Good. Anybody else? Is the will of God in your sanctification? Yes. There are very many places where it's explicitly said to us in the Bible, this is the will of God. And excellent. That's one of them. Abstain from fornication. Yes, Brian Verdurdy. Uh, submitting, submitting my will to God. That's good. Anybody else? When was the first time you heard the term or subject, God's will? It probably wasn't in children's church. It probably wasn't in Sunday school. Maybe it was in a youth group or something like that. Maybe it was in a church service. As we look at this subject here for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at one of those places that mentions that here is what the will of God is. We'll look tonight really just at verse 1, but let me read both verses. They're familiar probably to most of you. Romans 12, verse 1 and verse 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wouldn't it be great if when you left tonight, you were each handed an envelope and it gave you the rest of your life's will of God? Here it is. Sometimes as we approach the Word of God, we need to remember that that's how God reveals His will to us. Sometimes when we re read the Word of God, we read it like uh, a lawyer who's reading off somebody else's estate. But when we come to the Word of God, we should really come with a, a heart like we are one of the recipients of that estate, eagerly anticipating what will be included for me? What will I inherit? Wouldn't it be great to have an entirely God-planned life? We have some examples in the Bible, don't we, of people? It seems that their life was mapped out before them. Jeremiah the prophet. You know, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet. I mean, that was, he knew, right? John the Baptist, his parents were told, here's what's going to happen. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he came to faith in Christ, not long after, right in the moments after, he was given direction for the remainder of his life. And you can even see people like Joseph. Well, Joseph may not have known all along the way what God had in mind towards the end of his life. He could look back and say, hey, God planned this. Told his brothers, you may have meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. God accomplished his perfect will through the course of my life. 
So who needs to know about God's will? You know, we're talking, you know, 14 to 25-year-olds. Is that who needs to know about it? No, we all do. Every Christian should be very interested in seeking to live out the will of God day by day. Rather than ride the risks of happenstance and the winds of fate, it's important for us to be certain that our life is meaningful, it's fulfilling, but most of all, that it's God-pleasing. And Romans chapter 12 is one of those passages that directs our attention. Chapters 1 through 11 give an overview of the gospel, how it relates and how it affects our life. Chapters 12 through 16 of Romans give us the application of how that gospel will be lived out in our life. And I'm going to merge the two together because in the end of chapter 11, in the beginning of chapter 12, I think there's something very important for us to learn about the will of God. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan and a purpose for this church and for what he wants us to do in the world. Some places in the Bible ask for a a response. And this is one of those passages where it says, be based on what the word of God has said, you should have a certain response. And that begins in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's asking for a response. And then the question will be asked, what would be the most reasonable response for a child of God to his mercy? What would be the most reasonable response to the kindness of God? We also see in this passage that our identity, our role in the world is wrapped up in divinity, in who God is and who we are because of who he is. It matters It's important to God, and it's important for us. We need to know who we are. When Jesus was challenging his disciples and and giving them a pattern for their daily prayer life, he included the expression, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then he says, in earth as it is in heaven. Well, in in heaven, God's will is always being fulfilled. It's always being accomplished. On earth, uh, not so much, right? But we're to pray that way and we're to live that way. We're going to to seek to make sure that we are living out God's will in our daily life. Usually when we talk about the subject of God's will, sometimes we talk about what the will of God is. But maybe we should be asking who the will of God is. That's us. That's you. God wants to work in and through you in this world. His will is being accomplished through his kids, through his children. His plans are wrapped up in his people. When God works in the world, most often, in the way we see it, he is working through born-again believers, spirit-filled believers who are willing to allow God to use them in some way. That's how God is working in the world today. So who is the will of God? First of all, it's the saved. He says in verse 1, brethren, I beseech you, I'm making an appeal to you, brethren. So he's talking about believers. In order to know the will of God, you have to know God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it tells us that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. This is 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
In order to know God's will, you must know God. And part of God's will for every person is that they be saved. God's plan is that every person be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will all come to repentance? No. No. And many, we know, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's God's will. And the will of God is worked out through those who are saved, those that are born again. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. It continues on in 1 Corinthians 2. He says in verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Verse 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the written word of God. We have a record. Jesus Christ, the Logos, he is the living word. And if you have Christ as Savior, you have him. If you're not saved tonight, you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You are what that verse calls a natural man. And the plans and and uh, <clears throat> instructions from God's Word are going to seem like foolishness to you. Like, why would I spend time with that? Why would I be interested in that? Because they're spiritually discerned. They're discerned by people who have a relationship with the Spirit of God. So the will of God is, first of all, it's the saved, the brethren, but also the surrendered. And he says in verse 1, I beseech you, or I, I'm appealing to you. And the appeal is made, to those who are willing to yield their lives to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And that's those who are willing to put themselves under the authority of God for their life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every Christian, every born-again believer, lived a surrendered life? Wouldn't it be great if that was automatic? But it's not. In fact, the tense in this passage is this is a once-for-all commitment, a decision that's made by a child of God to yield your life, to surrender yourself to the will of God. Now, it's not to, not to say that there's going to be times when you have given your life to God that you didn't pull it back and uh, live it for yourself. And so what do we do? We renew that commitment. God, my life is yours. It's not my own. I'm going to live according to your plans and not my own. The surrender. The surrendered Christian is the will of God. Well, what does God's will do? First of all, um, <clears throat> it accepts the wisdom of God. Look at back in chapter 11, Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. It accepts the wisdom of God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? And so I'm going to believe something. I'm going to believe that God knows what I do not. And he knows more than I do. And so a person who is going to follow and live out the will of God is a person who is going to accept the wisdom of God. God knows. And he knows what I don't see. He knows what I don't understand. And I can trust him. I accept the wisdom of God, but also... I acknowledge the worth of God. Look at verse 35, Romans eleven thirty-five. For who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him. You know, nobody gave to God. It came from him. It all started with him. He created this world out of nothing, ex nihilo. I mean, there was nothing there, and he made it. We cannot do that. No human being can create something from nothing. Technology is amazing, but technology will never catch up. 
with our God. He says in verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So not only does the will of God accept the wisdom of God. In other words, God has a plan. He intends to use people. He knows what he's doing, and I can trust him. But not only that, he is worth it. He is worth my willingness to live surrendered to his plan. He is worth it. He is, this verse, in, uh, back to Romans 12, verse 1, is a verse of worship. That word present there is speaking of uh, like an Old Testament sacrifice. <clears throat> like the, the animal that was pointed towards uh, the holy of holies. It was, it was intended, all of it, lock, stock, and barrel, every bit of it was given to God. That's our calling. To acknowledge that God is worth everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we will ever be. God is worth it. And so we give our lives and return to him. He who gave them to us, we give them back to him. God, it's for you. It's for your glory. You, you accomplish your will in me. You direct me. You order my steps. I'm going to follow you. So God's will acknowledges that God is certainly worth it. Of him, through him, to him are all things. All things are made by God, and they're all for God. They're for his glory, and so are we. But how do we respond to God, number three? With the whole life worship, or whole self worship. And that's the intent. Go back to chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, those kindnesses that provided the gospel for us, while we were yet sinners, it says in chapter 5, Christ died for us. When we were unworthy, undeserving, he provided a way of salvation. He was kind to us when we didn't deserve it. He set his love upon us. And we ought to respond in like kind, giving our love. We love him because why? He first loved us, right? We offer our lives back to him again. And by the way, there's no age limit on this. This is a daily thing. God, I want your will for my life today. I want you to direct my steps. I want to follow you. I want my life to be a, a living song of worship to your name. He says to present your bodies. And the idea of your body is, is not just your physical body, but it can be taken literally, but it's every part of you, everything that you are, all is included in there. Uh, not to neglect the body, because we have a body, and our body is, is, is made for a purpose. We're told in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that we're, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We've been bought with a price, and we're to glorify God with our body and our spirit, which, are, which belong to him, which are God's, right? And so our body is God's, but the intent of this passage, it's even more than that. It's all that I am belongs to God. This is not just for those who would seek to live a life of follow the Lord in vocational ministry. It's for every Christian, every child of God. I refer you back to the first sentence there. Brethren, brethren, that's us. That's believers. It's, it's in the, uh, important for us to realize that our life is to be lived in worship of God. Not just my Sundays, not just the morning service and evening service and Wednesday prayer meeting. My life is to be lived out, living worship of God, a whole self-worship. A couple of key words that I want you to understand. It's deliberate. The surrender we're to offer is deliberate and it's intelligent. 
He's not talking about just a, a wave of emotion that sweeps over you and you say, okay, I'm giving myself to God and you don't think anything about it. <clears throat> He's talking about measuring and observing and, and making a decision. I understand who I am and how I stand before the Lord. I know He's God and I'm not. My life belongs to Him. It's a deliberate and intelligent surrender. He says, a living sacrifice. And so, uh, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were slain before they were burned. We are told to come as a living sacrifice with our own, with our faculties in check, right? We're, we're thinking and we're able to choose. Uh, we are made high priests, the Bible tells us. Uh, that's, uh, that's what we've been made as children of God. And so we, we are presenting, in a way, the Lord Jesus is the great high priest, and he offered himself for us on the cross. And in a similar way, while we don't offer ourselves for sin, we don't offer ourselves to redeem, we do offer ourselves in praise, right? Our praise because of what he has done for us. He says, acceptable unto God, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so it's deliberate and it's an intelligent surrender. It's a definite decision. I'm giving myself to you, Lord. Uh, I've made up my mind to yield to you, to give my life in worship to you. And then also it's a spiritual and rational surrender. <clears throat> it's an act of worship. Giving my life to God is not just something that you know, takes place at camp for third and fourth graders, um, and then it's over with. It's an actual calling of God's children to live their life yielded. It's a spiritual act of worship, but it's also rational. What does he say? Which is your reasonable service. It makes sense. It's acceptable to God. I'm living my life, I'm yielding my life to his authority and his power in my life. Are you living today a life of worship? I'm not just talking about singing hymns, I'm not even just talking about reading the Bible. But are you living with your will surrendered in worship to God? It'll show up, shows up in our attitude and our responses how we accept the circumstances that, that we face day by day. It shows up. Am I living, yielded, and surrendered? And while we can take those things back, while we can take them into our own hands, we need to come again and again. God, I'm giving myself to you. I'm making up my mind to yield my life to your control. Where then do we find the wisdom of God? It tells us his ways are unsearchable. They're past finding out, but we have something else, right? We were told in 1 Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. Where do we find the wisdom of God then? We find it in the Word of God. And so, to live a life, to live out God's will, I'm going to have to be connected to God's Word. I'm going to be taking in the truth of God's Word. In John chapter 15, we're told about the abiding life and what that abiding life looks like. He says, I am the vine, in verse 5, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So how do we attach ourselves to the vine? How do we find our sustenance? We go to the Word of God. God's Word will never lead you contrary to the will of God. They're always in tandem. 
They're parallel, right? The will of God and the word of God always work together. There's an interesting fact as well we find back in Romans chapter 12, though. The will of God is wrapped up in a person. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. This calling, this calling to yield ourselves, is not just something to be done to get it over with. Not just something to fill out a decision card and say, well, I dedicated my life to the Lord. It's even more than that. It's a dedication not just to a church. It's not just a dedication to a, a, a way of living your life. It's a dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. To yield ourselves entirely to Him. It's wrapped up in a person more than a plan. It's about Him and you. About Jesus Christ at work in the world through you. He wants access to you. He wants you to yield yourself to Him. Number two, God's will is first and foremost a condition of the heart before it's a path for your life. It's a condition of the heart. It's that act of worship, that living worship, life worship. It's a condition of my heart. Sometimes the, the path, we're eager to know the path, the next steps, the choice, and the decision. And we're going to get to that uh, maybe before the night's over, if not in a couple weeks. God wants you to know. God is not seeking to, to lead you in, 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 in places that you don't see, that you don't understand. And even Abraham, while he went out, not knowing where he went, he had God with him, right? God guiding him. And God was interested in his own heart condition. Are you mine, Abraham? Will you follow me? When he tied his son and put him on the offering that day, on Mount Moriah, what was taking place there? Abraham, will you follow me? Will you obey me? And he certainly was. So God's will is not only wrapped up in a person, it's also a condition before it's a position. And then number three, there's verses in the Bible that we sometimes like to claim when it comes to the circumstances of life. Probably the most familiar is back a couple of chapters, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's a tremendous promise. To be claimed by those who qualify, right? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. So it's not only those who are born again, but it's also those who are in alignment with the will and purposes of God. So claiming the work together verse is conditioned upon loving and living for God and his purposes. Are you? Are you living your life loving God, loving his purposes, yielding yourself entirely to him? Have you given your whole life of worship to God? A number of things that we can depend upon. You say, okay, what about the day-to-day -day decisions? How am I going to make choices? This is great and lofty. It's a great theory. Okay, God, I give my life to you. Now, tomorrow, I have to make a decision. Do I take the job or not? Uh, do I continue working where I'm working? Or do we sell the house? Do we buy the house that came up? Uh, do we move to Colorado? When, when all these things come flying at you, that's the trouble, right? That's when we say, okay... That's great and fine to say I'm going to do the will of God, but I've got to make a real-life decision. And how do we do that? There's a couple of things that I'm going to encourage you to look towards and think about. Certainly the Word of God. Let the Word of God direct your steps. Order it. Um, before you make major decisions in life, make sure that God has been guiding you by His Word. You say, well, I'm not really 
you know, in God's Word on a regular basis. Where do I start? Well, you need to get into God's Word. You need to foster that relationship with Him. Because again, God's will is not just a matter of getting answers. It's getting a person. It's getting alone with the Lord Jesus and walking with Him day by day. You see, God is more concerned about who you are in relationship to Him, where your heart is, than He is uh, concerned with uh, those decisions you're going to make. That's the most important decision. Walk with Him. And so we look to a couple of things. First is the character of God. Who is He? What are His attributes? God, who are you? And who are you in my need, in my circumstances? Who can, do I understand that He is wisdom? The wisdom described in Proverbs is speaking about God. He is wisdom, and I can trust Him. Am I looking to uh, His character, which never changes? But also, am I looking to His unchanging Word? There are absolutes in Scriptures, like the one Brother Mark mentioned a minute ago. That's an absolute of Scripture. There's no wavering. There's no bending. That is God's will. And there are many places in God's Word where it's spelled out, and it makes decision-making easier when you understand the absolutes of Scripture. But, you know, it's the guy who says, I've got this tremendous job opportunity. I'm, I'm going to be a partner with this guy. And is, well, he's not saved, but I'm hoping maybe I can lead him to the Lord through the process. Well, hey, you're, you're actually violating a clear command of Scripture. You're stepping outside of the revealed will of God, an absolute of the Bible. And you're putting yourself in a dangerous place in those decisions. And time and time again, I've seen people have made choices like that. And they found themselves looking back later and they said, I never thought he was going to sue me. I didn't know he was going to bail on the project. I didn't, I didn't know he was going to stick me with all the work. And I've heard these you know, over and over again. It's the person who says, I found him. I found the one for me. And he's, I found him online and he's, he's my dream. And I know, this, I know this is God's will because why would have God opened, door, opened the door for me if it wasn't his will? Satan is a master at opening doors. Not every open door is the will of God, right? Sometimes open doors lead to empty elevator shafts. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. So are there absolutes of Scripture that are going to direct and dictate? Yeah, there are, certainly. <clears throat> are there areas of our life that aren't covered in the Bible? Sure, plenty of them. And what do we do with that? Then we, that's the next thing. We go to the character of God, His attributes. We go to the unchanging Word of God. That's His absolutes. Number three, we go to biblical principles. These are applications. And these applications, these principles, are also sourced in Scripture. And it may not directly identify or talk about the job option you have or the home to buy or uh, whether or not to move into uh, an apartment. or what, it, It's not going to say that, but there are principles by which you could make many of these decisions. It will help guide you. God's Word is given to us not, not to leave us hanging, but to actually allow us to intelligently meet God, hear from God, and then make choices. One man said you know, 90% of God's will is made from the neck up. It's us thinking through who God is, what His Word says, what it means for my daily life, and then acting upon it. And then you can go to sleep at night and say, I'm trusting that I'm doing the will of God. Here was the option presented to me. I believe there's nothing that Scripture forbids or inhibits this choice. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust God to lead me. And, and you can rest well. You don't have to live life wondering, oh, did I, did I really choose God's will? I don't even know. Oh, and, you know, that's a horrible way to live. Not about you. There's been times in my life where I lived that way. I don't want to go back there for anything. 
God has revealed himself to us. And that's the blessing of God's will. He gives us his character. He gives us his, the absolutes of his word. He gives us those principles. Those are those applications. And then lastly, spirit-directed choices. That's our actions. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of you. He says, I will guide you in all truth. That's what Jesus said about the Spirit. He's going to guide us in truth. And so if I believe that, then as I seek God, as I wait on Him, I can make intelligent choices that please and honor the Lord that are according to His will, and I can trust that God will give. Along with the Holy Spirit's guidance, there's counsel. If you go to seek counsel first before you go to seek God, you're going up the wrong tree. Start with God. Start with His Word. Don't be lazy in this area. Go to God's absolutes of Scripture. Go to His principles of Scripture and weigh, weigh, weigh them. Let them weigh heavy on your shoulders and say, I am responsible personally before God, and I will answer to God for these choices I'm making. And don't just say, well, you know, this is a, it seems like a really good thing. I think there's a lot of hope and promise here. Be very careful. Are you seeking God? Are you walking with Jesus Christ in this decision? And, and then are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit of God? And what will follow? I believe God does give peace. Peace doesn't always come immediately. Sometimes the peace comes in knowing, you know what? I have taken God at His word. I sought His plan. And that's enough. That's what we call faith, right? Taking God at His word. And here I go forward. So, <clears throat> back to Romans 12. Will you make intelligent, deliberate, rational, and spiritual surrender to God? Will you worship Him with your life? That's the beginning. We're going to get back to more of those applications um, in a couple of weeks here. But I don't want to go too far. I don't want to lead you astray from verse 1, because this is so important. So on the basis of God's kindness and mercy and his care for us because of what he's done by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross, pay for our sins, we follow him. And how do I follow him in worship? I'm grateful for what he's done. I'm living my life, but I'm understanding it's not my life. I've been bought with a price. And so I'm giving my life. I'm yielding it. God, it's yours. And I'm making a rational I'm making a clear-headed decision. God, my life is for you. I want it to bring glory to your name. Do you? Do you? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? If you have a long time ago and you've taken it back, you've shimmied it back close to you, would you again say, God, I'm, re- I'm going to renew that commitment tonight. I'm going to give my life, my future to you. Life is full of seasons, and every one of those seasons are going to require you to understand God in new ways. Some of you, you've known God for a long time. You've walked with Him for a long time, but you're facing some challenges that you, you just aren't prepared for, and you're not sure what to do. And my friend, I would encourage you. I'm going to implore you. Present your body anew, a living sacrifice. God, I want to worship you with my life, and I'm going to need you to help me tomorrow and the next day. And you know what? He will. Father, I thank you for our time tonight in your word, and I thank you for the specifics that you lay out for us. This sounds like a grand theory, just to give our lives to you, but it's more than that. Because our salvation is wrapped up in a relationship. 
and how we go forward in our Christian life is wrapped up in a relationship. And I pray that that relationship would be one of worship with the whole life so that you might accomplish your perfect will in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.